Take your Bibles with me, if you would, and open up to James chapter 4. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you in the pew rack. Go to the back of the Bible, turn back about seven books, I believe it is. Didn't count, and I'm not counting backwards, I can't. Uh, I have to take my shoes off to do that. Uh, So take a look at your Bible or open up your app and turn to James chapter 4. This is another one of these passages that over the last few weeks, I know Pastor Josh has been preaching on uh, some heavy some heavy issues that James is addressing. And as we look at verses 13 through 17 today, it's, it's going to be, it's going to feel a little heavy as well. Uh, James continues his, um, his admonition. I think firm but loving admonition, which is typical pastoral from James. And we're going to look at that in a few minutes. But before we do, I want to do just a quick fly in over the landscape again and give you kind of perspective of where we've been and where we're headed uh, as we are coming down towards the end of James, the uh, the letter of James. Chapter 1, James began by talking about trials. Why do we struggle with trials and how we're supposed to respond to them with joy? We, we, we have such a hard time when we, when we have to face trials that we lose track of really who's behind all of those and that God is sovereign even in those trials to train us, to teach us, to grow us in him. He moves on into another aspect of being doers of the word and not just hearers. We listen really well. We're not real good at doing, uh, especially for men. I, I'll speak for us. Uh, I'm a good listener for the most part, and then there's times when I don't listen very well at all, and I don't do whatever my wife just asked me to do. Uh, it even happened this morning. A couple of things. She's like, um, did you take care of that? I said, uh, what? So be doers of the word, not just hearers only. James moves into chapter 2 and he talks about favoritism. About putting others before your, or yourself before others or others ahead of those who are less fortunate. Those who come in in good clothes. You sit here. The other one sit here at my footstool. Sit in the back. Uh, James says, no, that is not the intent, the heart of, of a believer. That is not how we should live. He moves on into chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, and he talks about faith and about works. And it, the fact that if you have faith, that should be demonstrated through the works that you show. The life that you live. There should be an outworking, a manifestation of true followership of Christ. Christianity is a doing religion, if we can call it. I don't even like to call it a religion. It's a relationship that I want to do for Christ, what he's called me to do. Let's put it that way. But a lot of people see it as a doing religion. So if you want to run with it that way, feel free. But he talks about faith without works is dead. There has to be evidence. If the faith hasn't uh, changed you, it probably hasn't saved you, as Pastor Josh has evidenced and shared. And I would echo that as well. Chapter 3 then moves to a really fun passage. As uh, all of us, yeah, those of you are familiar with it, the tongue. I'm not even going to go there because I've been convicted ever since he preached on it. So I'm just staying away from that. You know what you can do with the tongue, building up or destroying. We know where that goes. So if that's your conviction today, you can stay there and pray on it. Uh, But James, he continues and emphasizes that. And he moves into chapter 3 and and looks at verses 13 to 17. And I really think, as Josh expressed too, this is kind of the hinge pin of, of the whole book. It comes down to this, this uh, wisdom. Wisdom from above or wisdom from below. What type of wisdom are we allowing to guide us? And it's with that understanding then that James moves into chapter 4. 
and really becomes quite emboldened in his admonition towards us and towards these believers. Throughout this chapter, he's going to emphasize the importance of focusing on really one's humility and submission to God. We saw in the earlier uh, passage, part of James back a couple of weeks ago, that uh, we had to focus on, and Josh emphasized, understanding the, pa- the, the focus of knowing your place. What humility and submission to God entails is knowing your place. In other words, knowing that we have to humbly submit ourselves to God is found in verses 1 through 10. You remember what he says, and I'll just reiterate in verses 7 to 10. The Ten Commandments of Humility, or the Ten Marks of Humility. Therefore, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your heart, your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament. Mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned to, to gloom, or to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Well, James didn't stop there. He he talked about humbly submitting ourselves to God. And then he talks about humbly submitting our relationships to God in verses 11 and 12 as last week. In not judging a brother. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another And as we come today to this passage that we're going to see the need to humbly submit our future to God. And we're going to look at that in just a few moments. But I think there's a problem. There's a major problem. What James is confronting in this passage is a natural tendency for us to handle our life as if God doesn't exist. And you may think about that for a second. You say, what? Where is he going with this? Well, I'll I'll explain here. When you think throughout a course of a week, life happens to all of us. Is that not true? Life happens. And when problems arise, they may arise with your children. If you have children, you've got to deal with them. Sometimes over and over and over again. Even husbands and wives have relationship problems and that has to be dealt with. Over and over and over again, I see wives nodding heads. And and guys, we're there. We can be there. We have those issues. It could be at your job. There's problems that arise. Suddenly you're laid off or you've been demoted or you've been moved to another location. And and you're, wait, 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 what happened? What's going on? Problems with money. We don't have enough. What do we do? How are we going to make ends meet? Uh, Fear. Anxiety, worry, anger, discouragement, all of these things that take place. The sad part is typically God doesn't seem to enter the picture or as a part of the equation until either the very last or he doesn't come up until really it's almost like it's too late. My question is why is that the case? Why are we having this, this situation where we basically forget to turn to God and he is the one who is sovereign over all? We're going to take a look at this problem today that James is addressing. And, uh, and we're going to look at these uh, five verses, verses 13 to 17. But before we do, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon this time and really to move in our hearts, to open our hearts, not to become defensive, 
Because it's so easy as we look at some of the passages to think, oh, I don't do that. My, find it, I do. So let's humbly bow our hearts and ask God, God, prick my heart. Help me to understand today. I need to, to recognize what James is saying. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is another one of those passages that you have divinely ordained and given to us through James. James saw it through Jesus, the things and the way that we handle life. And he's now seeing it in these believers that are dispersed all over the, the area and living in light of the fact that we sometimes forget God in, in the, just the handlings of life. Lord, guide us in your word today. Give us hearts that are open, hearts that are moved by your spirit. Lord, break down our, our defenses. Help us to put away our fears. Help us to take the word that you have given to us today and live it each and every day. Lord, forgive us in our failures to recognize that you are here all the time. Lord, thank you again for this opportunity to share your word. May the spirit be moving in our hearts today and you be lifted up in all that we say and do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a look at the text with me now. If you would, follow along in your copy of Scripture, verse 13. James says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. I want to look at this passage today and break it down into what I have kind of laid out as three areas of study. And this first area of study that I believe James wants us to, wants to emphasize is this, this idea of what you should not say and do. Found in, We're going to see that found in verses 13, 14, and then verse 16. We're going to look at those three verses. What is it that we should not say or do according to James here in chapter 4? Well, verse 13 says, come now, and it's almost a continuation. Again, James has already read through the, uh, or it, it kind of given us the, uh, the focus of humility. He gets to the end of verse 10 and says, therefore, don't judge and, and speak evil of a brother. Well, he gets to verse 13, or the end of verse 12, and he says, oh, and another thing, come on now. You who say, it's a continuous thought. James is just coming out. It's almost like, you know, sometimes when you're, when you, if you've ever gone out hunting, and, and maybe you're not like me, but if you go out and you're deer hunting, and you take a shot and you miss. It's like, and he goes bounding across the field with his tongue sticking out at me, like you missed again. I, I see this kind of the same rapid fire emphasis from James saying, listen, listen to what I'm trying to say. Humility. You, you've got to have humility. And, and not only in, in, in understanding humility before God, but in relationship. And, and not only that, but also with regard to your future. He says in another point, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city 
spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? Even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes is gone. Look at verse 13 though. I want to stop there for a moment. And the first thing I want you to, to recognize is James is emphasizing we should not make plans without God. That's the first thing in verse 13. This emphasis of come now, listen up, indicating a stern warning. Hey, you who, I'm talking to you. That's the same emphasis. He's trying to get your attention. You know how sometimes you listen to things and sometimes it sounds like they just drone on and on. It's kind of like the Swedish shepherd. You don't have any idea what they're saying, but you're like, right, uh-huh, uh-huh. And James says, are you listening? Listen to what I'm trying to say. It's important that we should not make plans without God. Now, realize this. As you read this passage, he says, listen, those of you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Was there anything wrong with that? In and of itself, is there anything wrong with that plan? No, you can say no, it's not, you're okay, it's not a trick question. I do like to ask trick questions, but you'll be going, uh uh-huh, yeah, uh yeah, it's like a bobblehead. Uh, But this one is no, no, there's nothing wrong with that plan. The problem is, is forgetting God in the midst of making these plans. That's the hard part because I'm very apt to do this. I, I'm telling you, I had to put a mirror up in my, on my desk, preaching and getting this ready, looking in the mirror going, you're doing the same thing. You're doing what you're telling these folks. You've gone through the same thing. And I have to go, you're right, Lord, I, I, I am. I've got to stop realizing that you're not a part, or you are a part of it. You are. I've got to stop pretending that you're not a part of these plans. So as James emphasizes that it's not the condemnation of the good planning or the wise use of the money. It's the fact that they're planning a lot like the world does. We just kind of set God off to the side, put him in a box, up on a shelf, and we get when, when we need him, we'll pull him down. Yes, I'd like three wishes. And we a lot of times we function that way with God. It's like a genie in a box. James says this is what the problem is. We're not to be functioning in that way. And according to James, he says, it looks like God is nowhere in the picture. Think about it. I mean, whether you're buying a house, whether you're buying a car, whether you're buying large equipment, whatever it might be. What about taking a trip? What about changing jobs? What about, uh, I don't know, where your kids are going to go to school or, or what you're going to do or what are they, maybe what they're going to do after they get out of college or now that this, this physical problem has come up, well, what are we going to do? Let's, let's look at our options. Where's God in the equation? Where's God in the equation? That's what James is asking. It's hard because I think we are, as Americans, we are so self-sufficient as individuals, even as families, that we fail to bring God into the picture Sadly to say, I would say virtually everything that we do. I hope that's not the case, okay? I, I hope that's not Wallace Bible. I know sometimes I do. 
And the more I have grown over the years, the more God has come into the picture. I've had to realize that. I'm getting older. My body doesn't function the way it used to. And he reminds me oftentimes when those things, when that, oh, that hurts. And, oh, wow, I don't remember that, having a muscle there. Lord, that really hurts. And usually it's, God, can you please take the pain away? Because this really hurts. And I liked it better when I was 35, not almost 55. And we, we, the older we get, we tend to recognize, yeah, he's there more than we realize. It's, and I'm getting closer to seeing him than I was at 25 or 35. But we really need to, as we deal with these situations, when we think through issues, we really should, should be consulting the Lord of the universe and getting godly counsel even from those around us, as Proverbs talks about. I remember uh, just recently uh, a real contrast to handling life on my own. One, one thing that I've been really encouraged recently is Harvest Coffee. I think, uh, got it. yeah, there it is. This is what I've seen the opposite of what James is talking about. What was really cool is watching on Facebook is Karina and, and Darren and, and others that have been involved. When something happens, it's like, okay, God moment. We need help, Lord, and we need the body to respond. They, and I'm not saying every time. I know they've said it too. There are times Darren said, I need to hit in the head with a brick. Darren, I'm right there with you. I use the same brick. That I didn't see God in it, and there he is all along. But they consistently, time and time again, and now look what God has done. Harvest coffee. God in the midst of life. God blesses those things because we acknowledge our dependence upon him, and that's what James is trying to emphasize here. I'm so thankful that they continued to be faithful over and over again, and now we have an opportunity of ministry right in the heart of Milford. Isn't that a joy? Amen? Yeah, that's what it's all about. You know, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, warns us when planning, the writer says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I like what the life application commentary says. It says this, God has a prior claim on our lives because he is our creator His purposes can demand precedence over our priorities. Let me read that again. God has a prior claim on our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Because he is our creator, his purposes can demand precedence over our priorities. You know, I can lay out a plan and sometimes the Lord goes, that's not where I wanted to go. And he says, well, I've got another plan for you. And his precedence takes takes, well, his plans take precedence over my priorities. Say that five times fast. That's a mouthful. But we know that it is God who who guides us and directs us. So first, shouldn't plans without God? That's first things James is talking about. Second part, look at verse 14. He says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life, it is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. The second thing is, is that we should not forget the brevity of life. First, don't make plans without God. Second, you should not forget the brevity of life. Realize that this term vapor is, is the same word as that we use for steam. Have you ever, you, when we were in Norway, sometimes we would go out and go cross-country skiing. And, and when we go cross-country skiing, I breathe heavy because that's a lot of work. And so you're, you'd see that steam going out there. And it was there for a second and it was going. Whoop, whoop, whoop. You know what? Your life is the same way. Look at life in light of all eternity. I watched uh, Terry several years ago. Uh, laying in a hospital bed in the middle of the night 
with a heart attack, wondering, is this it? Is this the end? Thank God, God spared him, gave him a few more years. But still, in light of that, it's a blip. Bloop, you're gone. Bloop, bloop, bloop. It's like an irritating drip, isn't it? But reality is, is that's our lives, and it happens just like that, so fast. It's here, and it's gone. Turn with me, if you would, back to Luke chapter 12. This is a parallel passage, an illustration of kind of what James has been talking about. And look at chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. I don't know what your heading says in your Bible. It may say the parable of the rich fool. Nevertheless, it was a man that was planning, and he forgot the brevity of life. Verse 16, Jesus spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for your many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Can you see it now? I mean, you can hear it. You can almost feel the the pull of of the arm and patting yourself on the back. Isn't that great? How many of us have pulled muscles from trying to do this? Soul, you're doing well. Yeah, um, God, barns, we're going to tear them down, we're going to build bigger ones. When I worked at Menards, you know how many times I heard that? People come into me and say, hey, you know, I've talked to some of you about this. Want to build a post frame, want to build a big barn. I'm not, don't get me wrong, nothing wrong with the post frame, nothing wrong with bigger barns. And they'd ask me, hey, this is a good barn? I said, just like everything else, it's going to fall down and fall apart someday. It's not going to last forever. You know that. You guys know that. Guy, friends of mine that worked at Menards. Yeah, still live, still do. We get the same thing. How long is this going to last? Not till you, it's not going to last till you're dead. All right? Just get over it. But the reality of it is I'm going to focus on that because I want to build bigger barns and bigger things. And look what, look what Jesus says to him in verse 20. But God said to him, fool, you fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then those Will then will those things be then I'm sorry, then whose will those things be which you have provided? So it is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This night your soul is required of you. I've driven past barns, you've seen them like this. Where are those people today? Where are those people today? It's sad because really uh Think about that last verse. He says, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You see, everything we do in life, whether making money, raising kids, planning a vacation, mowing the grass, doesn't matter what it is. It should be done with a view of eternity in mind. Life is short, folks. James says, don't forget the brevity of life. I think about some different passages that I I glanced at. And we're not going to turn there, but let me just share a couple of these verses. Scripture, you know, is replete with verses that are talking about the brevity of life. Life is short. Job chapter 7. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. My life is but a breath. 
as the cloud vanishes and is gone, so he who goes down to the grave does not return. You haven't seen anybody come back from, from death, did you? Bar one. Jesus. Psalm 102. David said, my days are like an evening shadow. Have you ever watched the evening shadow? It's, my wife and I love sunsets. But they're here and they're gone. We were driving back up to the hotel and it was set up on a hill down there in Austin. And she's like, oh, oh, look, look at the sun. And, and, and I want to get up there. And we'd get up there and next thing you know, whoop, it's gone. Oh, man. It's but a vapor. It's but a moment. Psalm chapter 102, verse 3 says, David emphasized, my days vanish like smoke. He also said in Psalm 103, as for man, his days are like grass. Cast in the fire and it's gone. So, James has talked a little bit about that one, two things we haven't, shouldn't make. Plans without God. Second thing, we shouldn't forget how short life is. Third thing is we should not boast. Look at verse, go back to James. Look at verse 16 with me. James chapter 4 verse 16. He's getting, he's getting pretty, pretty firm with us. And, and it hurts. Verse 16, he says, But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. You boast in your arrogance. The term for boast comes from the Greek term that negatively can mean to be loudmouth or to speak loudly. You've seen people. You know people. I hope it's not us. But you know people that are loudmouths. Hey, check out the new car. Over here, look what I got. You know what I did? And those, yeah, James says, you boast. It's not all about you. But you boast. You're a loudmouth. And he adds to it, too. Not only do you boast, but you boast in your arrogance. MacArthur says this term actually comes from a root word which means to wonder and reflects the, an empty pretense. Just wandering around making a lot of loud, obnoxious statements and claims. These two words together, he says, MacArthur continues, uh, in other words, boasting arrogantly, come across as someone bragging pretentiously about something he doesn't have and can't obtain. We know people like that. James says, as a follower of Christ, this is not who you are to be. You should not make plans without God. You should not forget the brevity of life. And ultimately, we should not boast. He continues on in that verse and he says, all such boasting is evil. In fact, that Greek word, poneros, which is the word for evil, is used in this verse. And it comes from the same word as the title of Satan. You think about that. James isn't mincing words here. He says all such boasting really is satanic. It's evil. It's not just, I shouldn't do that. Remember what Jesus or what James had said a little bit earlier? That wisdom from above is heavenly, right? The wisdom from above is godly, is divine. But wisdom from below is what? Do you remember what he said? Demonic. Demonic. See, I don't think we 
emphasize or recognize the spiritual realm nearly as much as we should. Now, I'm not going looking for demons behind every bush. I'm not seeing Satan in every, every you know, oh, there he is in the corner. But at the same time, I think we have become so conditioned to our American lifestyle and to the things we see on TV. Everything is supernatural now. Supernatural means pretty much normal now. We can't tell the difference from reality from fantasy. This is really, that's the postmodern mindset, is we can't tell. And so what is true? It doesn't matter. That type of wisdom is demonic. And he says, this type of arrogant boasting is satanic. Folks, he's really serious about this. And he wants you to realize that that type of boasting as believers should never happen. And I pray that it doesn't for us. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1, another passage that emphasizes this this thinking. It says, uh, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. I'm not going to take time to read in uh, Ecclesiastes. We was going to take time to look back there. But Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, uh, talk about the, the brevity of things as well, the shortness of life. Vanity of all vanity. Everything is vanity. Solomon saw and understood what it, what it meant to try to live a life with everything. He had wisdom and he had everything to go with it. And he gets to the end of, of life and he said, Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It's worthless. And what was the, well, really, what's the crux of his, of his thinking or his writing in Ecclesiastes? You remember what he said? When you get to the end of life, what's important? Two things. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's the whole, it's the whole thing. He had everything. He had wisdom, he had understanding, he had riches, he had stuff. Folks, you want to have somebody that could boast about stuff? Solomon could. And he gets to the end and he says, it's all vanity. I put a a quote up here. No matter how much we accumulate... For how much we enjoy what we have without God, it's pointless. It's a waste. That nice new house, that nice new car, those nice new clothes, the nice new mower, whatever it might be. Nice new boat, nice new fill in the blank. You know what? It's all going to rust. It's all going to deteriorate. Those post frame buildings that we sell are still going to eventually deteriorate. Even the Cab apps and the hardware that we sell, still going to fall apart. (laughs) Hopefully not too soon, right? (laughs) But it is all going to happen. James here is telling us explicitly what we should not say and and do because in reality we're here today and going tomorrow. So, okay, focused a little bit on the, the negative, quite a bit on the negative. Let's talk about what James says we should say and do. James chapter 4, verse 15. Let's back up a step here and look at this verse. Instead, you ought to say, James says, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. You know, rather than acting like God is, has, or, is or has no part of my life, we need to actively involve him in every part of our lives. Every part. 
Now, that sounds really strange sometimes. And, and, and again, it, you have to develop a mindset. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who did, where did he go when there were difficult times? Did he turn inward and go, okay, I got it. No, what did he do? Where did he go? Where did he go? Where did he go? Yeah, he went out and he prayed. The God of the universe incarnate went out and prayed. Think about that for a moment. The God of the universe who had come down and taken on flesh and was capable of calling 10,000 angels went out and prayed because he knew the importance of a relationship with his father. Did he ever lose that? No. But he knew the importance of it. My wife and I, today, 34 years. Woohoo! 34 years. You pray for her. I'm 34. I told her when we got married, it was 30 to life. That's what they told us. So we're on 34. No, and it's thrilling. But when you, I think about that, I, I think about how can I live my life without her? I can't imagine living life without her. Now, we haven't always had good days. There have been some tough days over 34 years. But, but I love her. I want to be with her. I, I want to communicate with her. We love to talk with each other. If you see us, usually we're either holding hands or talking to each other. It, it's great because unless something's wrong, then you can tell. Because like, uh... <laughs> I love you. Yeah, I love you too. Now we get it taken care of. That's a great thing. We, that's where we're supposed to be. But I can't imagine that relationship without being able to communicate with her and want to talk to her. And there's times when I'll text her, oh, hey, look, you know what happened today? Yo, it's great. I mean, that's what we do with friends, don't we? And Jesus, the God of the universe, went to his father and wanted to be in communion with him because they were one. That's us. That's the picture. That's the, that's the picture of marriage. So as a body of believers, where are we in that willingness to want to say, oh, I want to be, I want it to be a part of my life. I want it, Lord. There's a, there's a picture I found. My grandfather used to say this all the time. You probably heard it. Lord willing, the creek don't rise. I used to look at him and go, what? What? Lord willing, the creek, what happened? There's no creek around here. He said, well, Lord willing, the creek don't rise. And that was common. It was very common. The creek don't rise had to do with the travel those days. (laughs) You'd have to go either across the creek and hopefully it didn't rise too high. You couldn't get across it. So Lord willing, we'll be there and the creek don't rise. That was part of it. But how often do we actually make that a part of our lives in our statements that we're going to go do do this or that. We're going to spend a year here and there. We're going to buy and save and we're going to, Lord willing, Lord willing. Sadly, I don't hear it very often. I don't always say it. Now, I'm not saying you have to say the magic words. That, oh, Lord willing, there we go, I got it. Lord, I thought of you today. But seriously, contemplating what part of everything of my life has to run through his hands, knowing it does anyway, if my mind is focused on really it being his will, when things go out of whack from my perspective, those are his priorities for me. Those interruptions are a God thing. Those problems are a God thing. He says, do you trust me when the machines don't work? When, when, when it's not going the way I thought it was going to go? I get frustrated because I had it all planned out. I'm good at planning. I like to plan. And then when it goes awry, I'm like... Aah. 
I'm good at dancing too. Like, okay, we've got to fix that. Well, let's go over here and do that. Yeah, I, because that's just the way I function. It's my, it's my, the way my brain is cross-wired and messed up. Um, but God needs to be a part of everything in our lives. You know, really, it's, it's talking about God's will for our lives. And I ask myself, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for your life? When you think about God's will, let me ask you. When you think about God's will for your life, where does your mind go? Does it go to who I'm going to marry? Does it go to how many kids I'm going to have? Does it go to what kind of job do I have? Does it go to this next trip next week or next year we're going to go on? Does it go to uh, uh, do I go to school or not? Uh, Does it go to how much money can I make? What is God's will for our lives? Does anybody know? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, first part of verse 3, makes it very simple. And I really think God's will is very simple. You know what it says? It's God's will that you be... What is it? Sanctified. You know what that means? Set apart. That means I'm going to pull somebody up here and I'm going to... Michael, come up here for a second. I haven't talked to Michael. I haven't even gotten him to do this, but I want you to come up here. See, God's going to take us and he's going to set us apart. He's going to say, I want you to check out this specimen of a believer. Check out this dude. And he's going to put us really on display before the world. And, and Michael, again, when I was working at Menards, Michael showed a testimony of a, of a good worker, a hard worker, that he was faithful. And, uh, you know, it gives us opportunity to share the gospel and it really helps, too, when you look this nice. I like, I need, to, I need to find your tailor. It looks good. I like it. No, I do. I love that outfit. Thank you, Michael. But being set apart, sanctified. God, all he calls us is to be holy. That's what he, that's not that hard, is it? Yes. Because you can't do it without him. So when we try to live life without God, are we being sanctified? No, we're living like the world. And it's no wonder we're pulling our hair out and we're struggling and we're stressed and we have all these problems and we don't know how to fix them because we've not been set apart. We keep climbing back to the world's perspective and saying, I'm going back over here. And he says, I want you to be set apart. I want you to be sanctified. I want you to be holy. I want you to be like me. And that's the only thing. All the rest is just details, as long as it's not sin. The rest are just details. Keeping God at the forefront of my life and my thinking, though, can only come from a transformed mind. And it's a transformed mind that affects a transformed life through the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me state that again. Keeping God at the forefront of my life and my thinking can only come from a transformed mind affecting a transformed life through the word of God in the power of of the Holy Spirit. You know what Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says? It says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be what?" What is it? Be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. It's not just changing you, it's the way we think. You got to get rid of as one of my friends likes to say, you got to get rid of the stinking thinking. That's where the problem starts. Is when my mind goes to stinking thinking, then usually God's not a part of that. The end of that verse actually says that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Isn't that awesome? See how the Bible, it all fits together. 
God's perfect will is for me to think like he wants me to think. It's to live like he wants me to live. It's to be sanctified, set apart, to be his follower. All the rest are just details. A Holy Spirit changed mind leads to holy living, which clearly displays our dependence on God. Look at that that statement. A Holy Spirit changed mind leads to holy living, which clearly displays our dependence on God. When people look at you, do they know that you are dependent upon God because you are living a holy life, because you have a changed mindset because of the Holy Spirit? If we're not, what's wrong? Word to break down, take place. If God's not a part of my thinking, then likely I've got stinking thinking. I'm doing it on my own. I'm, I'm not dependent on him. My plans are my own. And then we get all messed up when he changes gears on us or something happens. The sad thing is what I really believe, and maybe you probably all were wondering why in the world I entitled my message called Christian Atheists today. I think that's really the problem that James was facing. And the believers he was talking to, and I think it's the problem we face in the 21st century. I don't think anything's changed over the last 20, 2,100 years. Because I really, what it is, is that we really, many of us claim to know God, but we fail to live like it. In reality, we are living like Christian atheists. Think about that. I mean, that's a, that sounds really hard. But I've, I've come to understand that more and more, the, more, the older I get. And the more everything in life, as I look at it with my wife, we, we evaluate things and we look at, our, you know, look at our finances and say, well, as we look towards retirement, Lord, what do you have for us? Are we going to have anything? And if we don't, you know what? To God be the glory, still praised. If we have a lot, to God be the glory. If we're still here in this area or if we're in Texas, which we're not planning on moving there, it's way too hot. Um, but to God be the glory. And and it's all his will be done, not our will be done. And when we have that right mindset, then we, we we move away from this idea of being a Christian atheist. But when we try to handle things on our own and we aren't dependent upon God, then we live like Christian atheists. Look at verse 17. I think James wraps it up here with these, uh, this last verse. And again, the therefore, why is it therefore? Well, everything he's told you so far, if you're not living in humility and don't have relationships in humility and aren't dependent upon God in humility, therefore, to him who knows what to do and does not do it, to him it is what? Say that with me. To him it is what? Sin. So if you know what you are to do and you don't do it, it is what? Sin. Yeah, that's that's a a condemning statement. That is a judgment that God, I'm like, ow, oh, ah. And the only way you can know it is through the word of God, right? So if you don't know the word of God and you don't do it, you're okay, right? So in other words, don't read, don't learn. Ignorance is bliss. You're okay. Uh, No. But thanks for playing. You know, I'm not going to talk about it today, but there's issues of sin of omission and sin of commission. And it doesn't matter. It's still sin. Whether you didn't realize it was wrong or whether you did realize it was wrong, especially if you know what you should be doing and you don't do it, it's sin. It's interesting as James really contrasts verse end of verse 16, all such boasting is evil and it's satanic. This, this word to him who knows to do good is actually the Greek term that describes that which is qualitatively good, morally excellent, excellent, worthy of honor, and upright. I mean, you think about the opposites with that which is boasting, 
boasting and arrogance is evil, is satanic, but yet here, he said, but if you know what to do, to him who knows to do good, that which is excellent, worthy, what God has called us to, and we don't do it, then we're really living over here in sin and demonic wisdom. Now, you may say, okay, yeah, okay, so we're living like Christian atheists. Well, I want to I want to actually flesh this out a little bit, if I could, for a minute. I want to talk to you about a book that I read. It's been several years ago now. Called uh, Believing in God, But Living as If He Doesn't Exist by Craig Rochelle. It's called The Christian Atheist. I took some chapters out of this book. Just I wanted to highlight a few of them with regard to, uh, to what Craig says. And he really hits home. He really hits right at the crux of life. Craig doesn't mince words either, and I like what he says. He, let me give you a couple of chapters, a few chapters here that, uh, that I looked at in light of this book. One of the chapters is when you believe in God, but you don't really know him. Now, when I'm done sharing with this with you today, if somebody wants to borrow my book, you can. Um, it'll really open your eyes. It'll really challenge your thinking. Because it ties right into what James is talking about here in chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. When you think about this, when you believe in God but don't really know him, how much do I know the word of God or how much do I know Christ? When I say I'm a follower of Christ, you know I believe in God but I don't really know him. If I, it's like 34 years and I say I, I know my wife. Well, what color? What's your favorite color? I don't know. What's she like to eat? I, well, I don't know. How am I getting to know her? How am I, is this an intimate relationship or just a co- marriage contract that I, I got the ring, we're good. I told her I loved her 25, 34 years ago, whatever it's been now. I, I still remember, it's 34. 34 years ago, if it changes, I'll let her know. <laughs> and I know, you smile, guys, but some of us, uh, this afternoon, I love you. Honey, I love you. I may not have told you in a while, but I love you. Same relationship with God. If we, know, if we claim to know God, but we don't really know him because we haven't read his word recently, talked with him recently, what kind of relationship is that? We're living like Christian atheists. How about this one? When you believe in God but not in prayer. And you say, well, of course I know I believe in prayer. Well, let me ask you this. When problems come up, do I fall to my knees in prayer to God, the God of the universe who holds all things in his hands? Or do I suddenly try to handle it myself? I'm, I'm guilty. I can be there. My wife reminds me sometimes, like, honey, you know, maybe we ought to go to the Lord in prayer. And sometimes I'm so stupid that it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Can you believe me? Would you, would you think that? Do you think that sometimes? Yeah, I've been there. I've done that. And I've had to say, what am I thinking? And I had to confess and say, God, I'm sorry. That was wrong. I doubted you. You're the God of the universe. But you know what I'm talking about. Because I'm sure some of you have been there. It's called real life. And when real life happens, if we aren't directly in tune with the spirit, plugged in to the outlet, then we're not, we're not getting the power that we need from the Spirit. How about this? When you believe in God but don't think he's fair. That's a tough one too. Why are we suffering? Do you, what do, you have, do you have a theology of suffering? When things start going south on you, when your body starts acting like it will act, and things don't work the way you think they should, or I'm too young to be having these problems, is that fair? Is God not fair anymore? Of course he is. He's always fair. But it may not be in light of our thinking or our direction, 
our plans, our priorities. But yet he's sovereign. And, and knowing that then helps understand, yes, God, you are fair. Even when the righteous struggle, but the wicked prevail. You know this, I, I've shared this with other people. When you see wicked people prevailing and things happening and the righteous really suffer, realize this. Maybe this will help the perspective a little bit. You know, that, that victory and success and joy that they may have here on earth is as close to heaven as they will ever experience. Whereas the suffering and trials and pain that we experience is as close to hell that we'll ever experience. Let that hit you. Because those people are going, that's as close to joy they can have. They're going to hell and they're going to suffer forever. And we complain because they, they have some stuff that we don't have or they get something that we don't get, or evil is triumphing. Folks, only for a while, God is still sovereign. He is still sovereign, and he's still fair. And he's going to, he wrote the book, and you know how we, at the end, what happens? We win. We win. That's the joy of knowing Jesus. It will all be over one day. How about this? When you believe in God but won't forgive, this is a tough one. I think about pains and hurts that I've been through. To not forgive, how could I? Even as painful as it could be sometimes. But he forgave everything that I did when I spit on his face and nailed him to a cross. How could I not forgive those that have hurt me? But to hold bitterness and anger and resentment to him who knows what to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. When you believe in God, but you don't think you can change, why, when I have the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, can I overcome some of my weaknesses? Why can't I overcome some of my addictions? Why can't I overcome some of my failures? Why can't I overcome some of my struggles in my thinking? Because I really don't believe that God can change me. I think that's the bottom line. We really don't think he's going to do what he says he can do. And we make an excuse for it. And so we continue to live as if God doesn't exist because really he's not going to change it. But he can. He can. That's the joy. When you believe in God but still worry all the time. Trust me, that's a hard one. I can be there too. I don't know. What about, what about, what about? I was like, no, God, you are there. You are sovereign. You go before us. You, You know the plans you have made for me. Plans to really to prosper us, give us hope, regardless of what the situation is. Matthew 6 talks about this, when I worry all the time. How about when you believe in God but pursue happiness at any cost? This is a dangerous one too. Why do I try to avoid problems at all costs when Jesus told us we would have tribulation in this world as followers of Christ? The mindset I think so oftentimes is we as believers think that it should be a bed of roses. In reality, Jesus said, no, you are going to walk a rough life. You may actually die for me. Are you, real, are you willing There were many people that in Jesus' days walked away and said, it's too hard. I can't. Rich young ruler that came and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him and he walked away. And Jesus Jesus said, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than than for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle. Jesus knew what it would take. We must hate mother and father and brother and sister and all for Jesus. Hate? Well, at least in that light that the only thing that really matters is Jesus. Those are tough things, but yet that's what God has called us to do in this relationship. And why would you believe in God and trust more in money? I don't think I even have to say anything about that one. 
we know what that in American lifestyle, what it's all about. So really, unbeknownst to us, we often live like James is describing in, the, in this passage, and that's as a Christian atheist. And up to this point, really, I think James has been trying to emphasize all of what he had said from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 4, verse 17. Everything that I've been telling you folks, everything that I've, been, I've written to you, believers in the diaspora, everything that I have shared with you about trusting God in the trials and being doers of the word and not hearers only, about, about not showing personal favoritism, about living your faith out through works, uh, about being humble and humbling yourself before the Lord and in relationships and ultimately even your future before God. It all hinges on that pin, on that wisdom from above and wisdom from below. And if you know what you do and you choose not to do it, it is sin. So I ask you today, as we look at this, and really verse 17 I think is a summation of, the, of really the whole book up to this point. I really think even the whole book. If I'm supposed to do, if I know what I'm supposed to do and I don't do it, I am in sin. In other words, if I'm choosing not to do what God has instructed me to do through his word, literally excluding God from my daily life, then I'm in sin. So really, you know what? The solution is right in front of us. You know what the solution is? There it is. It's not hard, but yet it's very hard. (laughs) It's easy to read. Humble myself before the Lord, saying, God, I've blown it. I've blown it. I'm not lived like I should. Forgive me. I haven't, I haven't put you in my life. I haven't made you a part of it. Maybe you're here and you've never made a, made a profession of faith. That's the first thing. You've got to have a relationship with Christ in order to, let him, to lead you and guide you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Bottom line is, humbly submitting myself and my future to God. Asking him to guide me. James 4, verses 7 and 10, submit to God, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So my challenge today is this for you. It's been a heavy one. These passages have been heavy. James started out light, and then he he got down and he said, now, these last few weeks, as Josh has preached, and I've had a chance to, he said, now listen, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and I've got some important things I need to share with you because I'm concerned. And that's what James has been saying. And that's what we as a church need to evaluate as we look at even what's coming down the road. Is God a part of everything that we do? Or are we handling life like Christian atheists? And if we are, then we need to be on our knees before the God of the universe and God Almighty saying, God, forgive me. Forgive me for excluding you out of our lives. But the challenge today is to submit ourselves to God, making him an active part of everything of our, in our lives. When you think about something, is he right there with it? Is he a part of that equation? Is he a part of my thinking this week? What changes then are you going to make this week in your life when you deal with individuals or when you have a situation that comes up or your kids or your family, your wife, your husband doesn't, doesn't go the way that you thought it would? Or you have a flat tire out in the middle of nowhere and you're thinking, what do I do? How do I do these things? God... You there? Yeah, I'm always here. What you need? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for James and his, his writing. Thank you for the, this book that we have, these five chapters that he gave to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
to challenge us in our walk, even here in 2017. Father, we love you, and we want you to guide us. I thank you for Wawasee Bible. Lord, I pray that we as, as pastors and as board members, leaders of this church, folks that are here, that are attending, Lord, I pray that we would be a difference in this community and that we would show people that you really do matter. It's not just words that we say, but you really are a part of our lives. Lord, help us not to be and not to function like Christian atheists, but rather to boldly acknowledge and go to your throne in time of need because you told us we could. You said we could come to you. And cry out, Abba, Daddy, I need help. And you'll always be there with us. Father, thank you for going before us. Thank you for these words today. Lord, grow us in you. Help us all to walk that life that would be set apart from the world to be different to what you've called us to be, a light in this community until you call us home. Father, we rejoice in what you're going to do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.